0: In, in Buffalo, and I got to tell you that I'm going to give you a warning because I'm concerned for our church. And here's what my concern is based on: is Buffalo, New York, during the winter is beyond belief. Um, to say it's cold is an understatement. And this week they were throwing around this term around here called polar vortex, which at first she's here and you, you wonder if it's a disease or something like that. Like, oh my gosh, you know. He won't be here today because he's got polar vortex. But uh, I'm concerned about us because uh, I'm worried that we're turning into weather wimps. And, and I'll just, to sum it up this way, is uh, so Thursday, you know, we have this cold weather come in and all this. And I happen to call my parents up in Buffalo, New York. Now, winter in Buffalo is very long very cold, and a lot of snow. To get through winter in Buffalo, you have to be tough. In Buffalo, the men are men and the women are almost men. I mean, it's, it's a battle. So I call up my, my parents and I say, oh, you know, Mom, we had this weather vortex and it was very cold and that. And she goes, yeah, you know, here we call that winter. <laughs> and uh, she said, she said, you know, I said, "Well, what about you guys? How are you guys doing?" She goes, "Oh, it's fine. I mean, last night it was some—I don't know—we got like 12 or 14 inches, but it's nothing, nothing too big." And I realized that if we got 12 or 14 inches of snow here, people would be turning to like cannibalism or something like that. It would be ridiculous. So I just want us to all make a commitment that this winter, when people ask us, and especially if you're talking to people who live like up the northeast or something like that, if they ask you about the weather, I don't care if it's 500 degrees below zero. I don't care if there's snow so high that you're getting burnt by the sun because you're too close to it. I don't care if you freeze to death. I want you to tell them, hey, it's sunshine and applesauce. Because who doesn't like sunshine and who doesn't like applesauce? But we can't be weather wimps. Can you back me up on that? What do you think? So listen, let me pray for us, and we're going to get started. We'll finish up uh, in 1 Timothy today, but let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing. God, thank you for this time and for this opportunity, and Lord, we're just grateful to be here. Lord, we're thankful for our church. Lord, we're thankful for the uh, things you're doing in this church at large, but Lord, the things that you're doing in every one of the people who are in this building, Lord, and what you're doing in them and through them, in their communities, in their families, in their workplaces, Lord, in the places where they journey, Lord, you go with them. Thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, Pastor Bob has done this series uh, over the last month or so called Blueprints. Blueprints are engineering documents that kind of help you to understand what a whole building is made of behind every wall, where all the plumbing is, where the sewer lines run, the water lines, electrical, everything. Now, Pastor Bob knows how to read blueprints. I do not. Um, I know upstairs we have a, a closet where we have all the blueprints of this building. And one day, Pastor Steve rolled them out on this big table, and he was showing me all this stuff. And I nod my head like, oh, yeah, I totally get this. I, I don't get it. But I understand their purpose. And one of the things that Pastor Bob said is that First Timothy is a letter written from Paul to Timothy, and it's kind of the framework or the blueprint of the church. Now, here's the cool thing today, is after five chapters of of Paul kind of saying to Timothy, hey, this is kind of the form and shape of the church and what it should be, in chapter 6, he kind of says, hey, this is how we should be. You know, one of the things I believe so much in ministry is that I don't focus a whole lot on telling middle school students what they shouldn't do and what they shouldn't be about. Instead, I want to inspire them to what God has called them to. In other words, instead of saying, don't do this, sometimes it'd be interesting to say, what if we did this? What could happen? And so this idea that the church should help create culture. And so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Paul is speaking here to Timothy, and he says, Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because, they have, they are, because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort. All of these things. Now, Paul is speaking to Timothy back in a reference where masters and slavery—it's a whole different context. And unfortunately, some of that is still alive today in this world. But when I look at this, for me, I was thinking, all right, what does this mean? Well, listen, all of us have people are our people who are under authority. All of us have bosses. All of us have supervisors. All of us have managers. And some of them may be great and some of them may not be so great. But I remember when I was learning from this passage years ago, one that hit home for me is when I was in college, I was working my way through college and money was always tight. And I remember that I was going to college and I landed a part-time job and it was very important for me with this job to make a certain amount of money. All of you have been through this at some point in your life and some of you may be going through it right now. And I remember that I got this part time job and it was at a giant shoe, shoe store, and our salary was very low, but the commission was pretty good, and so if you worked hard, you got a good commission and so I was a go-getter, I knew what I had to do. I was working hard, I was selling well, I was doing good commissions and that, and all was going well. The man who had hired me, he was a great guy, he was very fair with me, he was teaching me things. And what it was is you had to work x amount of months before they would train you on the cash register. And I was just about to start that training, and then one day, my manager came to me and said, "Eric, I got transferred to a different store." And this woman became my new manager. Now, I don't know everything that was going on with this woman's life, but I do know this, that for whatever reason, she did not seem to get along well with men. And within a couple of weeks, I noticed that the men who worked at this store were dropping out left and right until I was the last guy standing. And I remember going to her and saying, hey, you know, just before the manager, previous manager left, uh, I was going to get trained on the cash register. And I remember she looked at me and she goes, you're not getting trained on the cash register. She said, all sales that you make will go through me. And I kind of went, okay, that's a little bit strange, but all right. Well, guess what starts happening? I keep track of everything I'm selling and my commissions and my salary keep going down and down and down. And I noticed that her numbers keep going up and up and up. And so... I say something to her, but what I realize is I am completely powerless. Because at one point she said, Eric, if you disagree with things, maybe it's time for you to find a different job. How many of you have ever been in a situation like that where you just can't win? So I was so angry. And I remember reading this passage going, oh my gosh, but God, how can I honor this woman? She's treating me so wrong. And so, like God always does, I start reading his word and I open up to a passage that I think goes right along with this. And it was in Colossians 3, verse 16 and 17. And it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And listen to this. And this just stabbed me. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I just remember going, what? I've got to give thanks? I've got to do all this to God? But God, she's treating me so unfairly. And I felt like God just said, Eric, I've been treated unfairly too. Do it for me. And one day, like Lego pieces clicking together, I'm driving the work, and I've literally had this like, Boom, light bulb moment. And I thought, you know what? I don't work for this company. I don't work for this woman. I'm going to just work for the Lord. I'm going to just do everything. So matter if I'm treated great or I'm treated awful, I'm just going to stay the same. So I test this out at work. So when I come in and she gives me some kind of remark, I turn and I say, hey, how are you doing today? Glad to see you. And I just kind of smile and keep doing my thing. And I actually think that actually made her more angry. (laughs) So one day I'm sitting in the back room I'm on my lunch break and one of the girls who works there was a really nice young lady. She came to me and she goes, Eric, I, I just feel really bad about what's going on with you and I just think it's really unfair. And I remember I turned to her and I said, you know what, it's okay. I said, I'm really thankful that you're a friend to me. And she literally looked at me and she goes, I just don't even get you. She goes, I'm angry, and you're joking. And I remember thinking, I'm doing this for the Lord. Now, I was diligent at the same time. I was looking for other jobs, and I remember I put in an application at a place I really wanted to work, and just as I turned in the application, the guy said to me, listen, you seem like a great kid, but I want you to know we're hiring for four spots, and you're the 60th application to come in. And I remember thinking, I'm doing it unto you, Lord, so if this is the job you have for me, I'll get it. And I literally turned to the guy and said, hey, I hope you'll consider me, consider me for the position. But I said, I understand you got your hands sold. Just, I'm sure you'll do your best. And I got that job. And it was I got to admit, it was nice to go into the other place and say, I'm going to be leaving. <laughs> no one was sad, though. Let's keep going. Verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, listen to what verse 4 says. You know, Paul says, hey, Timothy, if people start teaching other things than the word of God, if people start teaching anything other than Jesus Christ, this is a description of those type of people. He is proud, knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. I want to read that one more time because those are words that you don't want on your resume. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. Now, I'm like crazy smart. So... I looked this verse up, and I took it back to the original Greek. And in the original Greek, chapter that verse, chapter, verse 4, it stands for one word. You can write this in your Bible, because I'm like, yeah, right up here with the smarts. Verse 4 means Facebook. <laughs> when you read Facebook, do you not go proud, knowing nothing, obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come... Envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. And then next to that, you can put election, right? <laughs> Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means for gain. From such, withdraw yourself. He says, hey, Timothy, listen. Don't ever forget. The basic thing is this that Jesus Christ died on the cross for belligerent, reckless sinners like you and me. And that's it. You can't add to it. Don't become some slick talker. Don't become some polished persona. Just remember to stick to your basics. And the other thing is, is hey, Timothy, there's times in life when you need to engage and then there's times where you need to say, I'm not gonna get involved in this. And you know what? There's a lot of times where I hear people just disputing and just screaming in capitals online and social media about all sorts of things, and I just choose to walk away because that's not what God's called me to. I have never, ever in my life argued someone into the kingdom of God. I have never had somebody say, well, I think Christianity is the stupidest thing. And then I come back with this great reply, and they go, well, I'm committing my life to Christ. That never happens. Now I'm going to tell you this. I've come alongside of people. I've heard their story. I've gotten to know them. I've cared for them. I've loved them. And then I've shared my heart. And that's gone a lot further. Look, look with me at verse 6. It says, now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. You hear that quote from a lot of people, and a lot of people who say it, I don't even think they realize it's from the Bible. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these things We shall be content. Hey, Timothy, learn to be content. Have you ever been totally content with something until all of a sudden you see something else and you kind of go, whoa, (laughs) that would be nice. Have you ever been totally content with your car until you get into somebody else's car for a ride and you're like, huh, this would be a little bit more my lifestyle here. It fit me a little bit better. But we we have to be careful of that. And Paul says, Timothy, be careful. But Paul is a very wise guy. And here's what he says. He says, Timothy, let me tell you why you got to be careful of this. Because I've seen where it goes. And look where it goes. In verse 9, it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Now, Growing up in upstate New York, I did a lot of hunting. And we did trapping, we did all sorts of things. I understand how a snare works. An animal steps into a snare, it closes around his legs. The harder he pulls, the tighter the snare gets. But look at the second illustration he he gives. He says, "But but those who desire to be rich fall in the temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, everyone in this room, at some point in their life, has probably had an experience where you felt like you were drowning. Ever be at the shore and a wave takes you by surprise and holds you underwater and maybe smacking you against the bottom of the ocean there and you begin to panic I remember one time I was with a teenager. And I was over at a friend's house and we were in the pool and it was like three or four of us wrestling around. Nothing over the top. And I remember that my friend, we, we were grabbing shoulders like this and I took a deep breath and I went underwater and I was gonna wrap around his legs and kind of pick him over. And a friend of mine jumped in the pool behind me and he tried to grab me. But when he grabbed me, he poked me in the ribs, which I don't care how tough you are, that's like the most ticklish thing in the world. And what happens the moment that happens? All the air comes out of me. Now, I'm going to tell you that it wasn't like they were trying to beat me up or do anything. They probably held me underwater for only three or four seconds, which is not that long. But three or four seconds, when you have no breath in your body, feels like what? It could be forever. Yeah, you feel like death. Whoever said that, that's right. I, I mean, I literally was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I'm going to die in this pool. In three feet of water. <laughs> but here's the thing. Paul says, Timothy, the lust of rich, rich of wealth, the lust of, and it doesn't even have to be financial wealth. It can be a lust of, of popularity or success or notoriety or whatever. It will drown you. It will drown you in destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. You know, probably about a year ago, I was playing in a charity soccer tournament. And in this charity soccer tournament, as I'm walking on the field, I see a player who I knew was a former professional player and a guy that like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm on the field with this guy. And I was really pumped up. And, like, one of my teammates comes over and goes, dude, do you see that? Yeah, it's him. And it was so much fun to be on the field with this guy. And then a couple of months later, I read that he had been arrested. And he was in some kind of, I don't even understand it, but his company was scheming and doing all this thing, but basically embezzling all this money. And I remember literally when I read the article, the friend who I had played with on that team He texted me and he said, Eric, did you see this? This guy was was a very wealthy man to begin with. And yet he got caught swindling this money. Do you ever read things in the paper like that? And it's shocking. Like, what are these people thinking? But what does Paul say? He says, the love of money is a root. And what happens with roots? They grow. And he says, all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith and in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. And what's heartbreaking is to see these people get arrested and then see them make these tearful apologies and basically say, I did this to myself. And Paul says, Timothy, I'm telling you it's because I've seen it. But like a good coach, what I love about Paul Is he kind of brings them around. Like he says hard things. And then he says wonderful things. But listen to what he says here in verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee those things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life. I love that. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of so many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Now, think about this. He's saying, listen, Timothy, you're running this great race, but I'm telling you, run it through, go the distance. You're going to get through this and keep faithful to what you've been faithful all the way. Look back at what God's done and believe going forward that he will continue to be faithful to you. And then he brings up a great example. Jesus before Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19. And if you remember, Jesus is brought before Pilate and Pilate keeps questioning him. And Jesus doesn't respond. It says he remains silent. And finally, Pilate, I imagine, comes up close to Jesus and says, hey, you know I have the power to either crucify you and put you through a horrible death or to free you. And do you remember what Jesus responded to him? You would have no power if it weren't given to you from my Father above. Now, why do I share that? Because there's something about standing up for the confession of Christ. There's something about standing up on your faith that other people at some point get overwhelmed with. And what happened? At the end of that passage, it said that from that moment forward, Pilate sought to have Jesus released. Because he knew he was messing with something holy. And I think Pilate went, I, this might be one I want to withdraw from but it wasn't to be. See, here's the thing that Paul says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, listen, your beliefs and your life, they gotta match up. You can't see my skeleton, but obviously my skin frames it. If you took the skin off a skeleton and held it up, it's this one shapeless blob. But it gets its shape from the skeleton. In the same way, your belief in God is your skeleton, and your life needs to mold to that skeleton. And a lot of people won't get it. A lot of people don't understand Christians. They don't understand by the way they live. I've got friends of mine who go, oh my gosh, why would you want to go to church every Sunday? And they don't get that. How many of your friends don't get it? And that's okay. Because in a sense, gang, we really do go a beat to a different drummer. So I live my life different than a lot of people. I treat people different than a lot of people would treat other people. I think about things differently, and I'd like to think that in some ways, God is growing me up, although not too much. I don't want to fossilize or something like that. But one of the things I believe is that your life and your beliefs need to match up. Now, you can test yourself and see if it's matching up. Go to work tomorrow, and if you bump into somebody who you're around all the time, and they ask you, hey, what did you do this weekend? And you say, I went to church. And if they drop over from a heart attack, then maybe you need to reconsider. I went through that when I was younger, and there would be people, and they would say, oh, you know, tell me uh, something you read. And I would say, I read the Bible, and just about everybody would pass out. You read the Bible? Really? Really? and you talk the way you do, and you do the things you do, well, I don't know. I wasn't matching up. I wasn't matching up. The skin was not framing the skeleton correctly. But Paul just says to him, listen. Verse 15. Which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and the only, it it says ruler, and king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and glory and everlasting power. Amen. Guys, listen. We serve a mighty king. We serve a mighty God. Isn't it wonderful when you know that God's got you? Isn't it wonderful to know that when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death that David talks about, that God's got you? How many of you have ever been in that valley at some point in your life? And if you're not raising your hand, I got news for you. The valley's out there. But I'm going to tell you this. At my darkest moments, in my hardest times... Even all the people who love me and try and support me, but in those darkest moments, there's been one still, calm voice that has always spoken to me. And He has always led me. And He has always walked beside me. I love those verses that He finishes up. That you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Guys, Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, strive because understand that our time is limited. And soon it'll be over, and I want to make sure that when you finish that and you go through that finish line that you left it all out there. So let's pull this together. You know, growing up, I remember I loved to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Anybody, Mr. Rogers fans out there? A couple of, you. I gotta be honest with you. I showed his picture up in middle school extreme about a month ago, and kids are like, "Who's that?" Somebody says to me, "Oh, Pastor Eric, is that your dad?" <laughs> no, it's not my dad. I'm like, "It's Mr. Rogers." Oh. I try. Hey, listen, you're laughing. You raise these kids. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> But growing up, I loved to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I remember that when things in our world were going crazy, that Mr. Rogers always had a way of encouraging and reassuring me. I always remember that. You know, I remember being so scared. in this one point in my life, I was a young kid, but I remember three things that happened right in a row that I thought, oh my gosh, the world's going to end. And now I look back and it's kind of crazy and funny. But I remember in a very short sequence of time that the Pope got shot, Ronald Reagan got shot, and John Lennon was assassinated. And I remember when that all happened, and some of you remember, I just remember thinking, my gosh, like the world's going to end or something like that. And sure enough, Mr. Rogers did a whole show talking about it. And I remember that. But I want to share with you a short little video snippet from the 1997 Daytime Emmys. Now, I'm going to be honest, the video's grainy. It's old. The Daytime Emmys, the crowd is filled with a lot of plastic surgery. It's all of these soap opera stars and everyone glitz and glamour. It's awards they give to soap opera stars and talk show hosts. And in the middle of it, there's quite an aged old Mr. Rogers. And he comes out on the stage and everyone's kind of clapping and everyone's thinking about when they were a child watching Mr. Rogers. But I want you to examine this short clip because Mr. Rogers walks out and in front of thousands of people and a live audience, he grabs everyone by the heart. On behalf of everyone here and on behalf of the millions of children whose mornings you have brightened with your kindness to present you with this Lifetime Achievement Award.
1: Oh, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. So many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, ten seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are, those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life? 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. Whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my co-workers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me, allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you.
0: Is that powerful or what? And you know, as a communicator, you would say, oh my gosh, he does everything wrong. On live TV, you're never supposed to have times where nothing's happening. And the other thing is, you never, ever look down at your watch. And he breaks both those rules. And at first, do you hear how the crowd kind of starts laughing? And then they realize he's not joking around. And then you see it on their faces. I see it on your faces. Because every one of us can think of someone who spoke to us about God or helped us to become the person we are today. And maybe you think of that person and you think, where would I be today if it weren't for that person? For me, it was a friend of mine named Mike. Mike helped me to build a spiritual skeleton in my life that I've hung on my skin, my beliefs on for the last 30 years. I want to close you with one illustration with two points. See, this rope, I want to tell you, represents eternity. And here's the thing with the rope. It's got this orange part or red part here. And this part of the rope is your life. This is birth. This is school. This is graduation. This is love. This is paying the bills. This is taxes. It's weddings and funerals. It's soccer practice. It's ballet. It's final exams. It's grocery lists. It's buying Pastor Eric a Christmas gift. (laughs) It's grandchildren. It's sickness. It's death. This is your life. But in Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha, beginning, and the Omega, the end. Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And God says, listen, Eric, your time here on earth is limited. But this time goes on and on and on. And he says, Eric, I'm all about this, and I understand that you are too, but I'm also all about this. And my son came here to die on the cross so that he could help you make sense in this, but that you'd have a grip on this. What did Paul say? That you would grab hold of eternal life. So I want to ask you two questions. Two points today. The first point is, who is that person in your life? Who is that person that gets into this with you and says, hey, you know what? I'm in this with you. But maybe this person also said, hey, while you're in the midst of this, I want to tell you about this. For me, it was Mike. Mike came into my life And he loved Jesus Christ. He modeled Jesus Christ. And at the appropriate moments, he would come alongside of me and go, Hey, Eric, I know you're holding on to this. What if you took a hand and grabbed a hold of this? And I would challenge you this Christmas time that maybe you would reach out to that person. Maybe you'd write him a letter. Send him an email. Give them a phone call, a text message, something. But to reach out to that person and say, you know what? I want you to know you are a big part of me and having my hand in this and on this. And so, you know, I practiced what I preach. I called up my buddy Mike. Now, Mike and I have not seen each other, I would say, in a couple of years. I still love him. We're still good friends, but we just live very different lives. I'm a pastor in Chad, Pennsylvania. He's a financial advisor in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I called him up, and he picked up his phone very businesslike, which is kind of funny because I never remember him being like that. But I'm going to tell you that very quickly the conversation changed because he answered the phone in a very businesslike, and I said, hey, how you doing? And I called him by his old nickname and I referred to myself by my old nickname. And suddenly the very proper businessman, I could tell, got choked up. And the first thing he said back to me is, E, I love you. And I said, Mike, I love you too and I want you to know that I'm calling you today because I'm so grateful that you got into here and told me about this. And he didn't even know what to say. Who is that person? And I would like to think when I got off the phone with him, that I gave him a shot in the arm. That maybe that was something he needed to hear. And then the final point is this. Be that person to someone. Paul, was it to Timothy? Mike, was it to me? Who could you look at and go, hey, you know what? I'm going to get involved here. Because I think this person's really grabbing this, but I want to make sure they got their hands on this. If you were invited here today by someone, you're here because that person's going, hey, you know what? I love you and I'm all about this, but I want to make sure you got your hand on this. Because I will guarantee you one thing. This hand will lose its grip eventually. And then the only thing that matters is if you got your grip on the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. I'm going to close this in a word of a prayer, and then Kelly and the worship team are going to close us out with one last song. But I'm going to tell you today is this. Listen, I understand And people might be sitting there going, Eric, you don't understand that my red part of that rope is really involved. I get it. I get it. And maybe I don't totally grasp it the way you do, but I'm going to tell you what, that God does. But this I do tell you. Don't leave this room unless you understand if you've got your grip on that other end of the rope. Because eternity is a long time. Let me close as a word of prayer. God, thank you for this.